Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. I'm ready to hit you with something different today. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's okay. have it. For our opening? Yes. You want to sing with me for just a second? Oh my gosh, I would love to. <laughs> I was, I love this song. All right, are you ready? Yes. Eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound, just watch the bandit run. All right, we'll stop there. But I saw in an article that when that song comes up, comes on, yeah. you have to sing along. You do. So I am wondering, first of all, if our listeners, any of them like joined in yes. with us as we were singing. Yes. But I thought that would also be a fun way to introduce the fact that this episode is going to be about... Smokey and the Bandit! Yes! I'm so excited. Yes! It was your suggestion. It was do because of that song. I love this song. When we watched it a couple nights ago, and I know that I saw it a long, long time ago, but I didn't really remember it. I just love this song. And listening to it... I I literally was like at a concert. I had my hands in there. I was like, eastbound and down. And it feels like the DNA of my family. It feels like home. So it's kind of the rhythm and the feel of it, not even just the song itself. Not even just the song itself, although I love the lyrics. Mm -hmm. It's such a fun song. It's so catchy. Yeah. And the fact that Jerry Reed wrote it so quickly. So quickly. Yeah. It is. It's a very fun song. Mm -hmm. That was a fun movie. It is. It is. It's one of those that just kind of sucks you right in. I had not seen it in years and years and years. And so it was fun to rewatch it. It I will say that. Well, the other reason that you suggested it was Mm -hmm. because our theme, of course, is summer road trips, Mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that Smoking the Bandit has is an actual bandit run. You can take a road trip. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. But I thought I would actually start by pointing out that until I started researching, I hadn't really thought about the fact that the car, the car plays such the a huge role in this movie. Brian told me that after this movie came out, the, the sale of Trans Ams went through the roof. Like this film was second only to Star Wars. Yeah, in 1977. And popularity. That Which, is crazy. It is crazy, especially when we talk about some of the backstory of what led to it and the uh-huh. fact that they thought it was going to be a total bust. I know, I know. Yeah. I actually have, I read earlier this year, Burt Reynolds' biography, mm-hmm. one of his biographies. I know he had a couple. And there's a section on smoking the bandit. Oh, cool. Well, Mm -hmm. then you'll have to chime in and tell us some of that stuff. But to talk about the car for just a minute, it was a black 1977 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am, which one of my sources referred to as, quote, one of the most iconic movie cars ever. Yes. Now, an interesting tidbit was the cars shown in the movie were supposed to look like, because they use multiples, obviously, but it was supposed to look like a 1977 model year Trans Am, but it was actually a 1976, the 
1977 had not come out yet. Mm. So General Motors provided them these 76 versions that they could use, but they put the front end of the 1977 on it because obviously that was coming and they they wanted that to be in the movie. Now, here's another interesting little tidbit. The director, Hal Needham, was quoted as telling people in interviews that he was given a total of only four cars by Pontiac. Yes. Three that were used in the movie and one that was a promotional vehicle that he could drive around and they could use to advertise Mm -hmm. Smokey and the Bandit following the release. And he always told people that the three movie cars were totally destroyed during their various stunts and that the promo car was the only surviving Trans Am that was connected to the film. Mm -hmm. Now, IMDb says that that's not the case. That before he died, Burt Reynolds gave an interview where he said they used 12 Trans Ams, most of which were destroyed during the Uh filming. They agreed on that part. And so different people kind of traced it back. They interviewed other people who were involved in the film. And what they now think is they were given at least eight of these 1977 special edition Trans Ams, the ones that were 76 with the Mm -hmm. front end of the 77 on them, and also a number of police cars. Mm -hmm. And almost all of them were completely destroyed, not just while they were filming the heavy stunts like that river jump, which was very famous, but even some of the minor stunts like crashing through mailboxes. I mean, they just tore these things apart. They did. So there is one last surviving Trans Am with no damage at all. Was it the promo car? Which was the promo car. Cool. Yes. But again, to follow up on what you just said, it did cause an explosion in the sales of these cars. They said that the Trans Am was already pretty popular in the mid-1970s. The sales were usually something like 68,000 to 69,000 in 1977. But in 1978, after the movie had come out, they jumped to 93,351, which was about 25,000 more sales. Mm -hmm. And then in 1979, it was up to 117,000. So basically the sales almost doubled in two years. I'd like one of those cars. It was a super cool car. Yeah, it was. It totally was. Well, I found this little quote in an April 2022 Texarkana Gazette article written by Lisa Porterfield Thompson, and I liked it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you to read this little excerpt from her article, if you don't mind. Sure. But as years pass since the movie's 1977 release, it's important to recognize what an iconic film it was and what an integral role Texarkana played in it. More than the movie's star cast, Texarkana might have been the real winner, coming to national fame because of the movie's success. The movie tells the story of truckers paid to illegally haul 400 cases of Coors beer from Texarkana to Atlanta, Georgia, using the Trans Am to run interference if any police attention is attracted. There's a runaway bride an adorable basset hound, and plenty of road action, romance, comedy, classic chase scenes, and cheeky nicknames to boot. (laughs) Texarkana fits nicely into the Smokey and the Bandit story. Not only was Texarkana a realistic, small, but storied town at the time of the movie's filming, but it had a history of bootlegging, and in general was known at one time for nefarious activity. Legend has it that bootleggers used to sneak back and forth across state lines to avoid being caught with alcohol during Prohibition. So I like that quote for a couple different reasons. First of all, because our theme is summer road trip, and we were trying to highlight different attractions or places of note that were related to locations, Mm -hmm. I thought this really highlighted the importance of Texarkana within the context of this movie. It also highlights the need for a good car for your road trip. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And it it takes us back to what you said a minute ago, this bandit run. The fact that they have now created this event that honors the movie Mm -hmm. 
and also honors the location Mm -hmm. by recreating it, basically. So let me just briefly share with you what this Bandit Run is about. It is a ride from Texarkana to Jonesboro, Georgia, which is where all the scenes set in Texarkana were actually filmed for the movie. According to a Landline article, they said the climate there is very much the same. And so that's why they chose it. Kind of hot and muggy in the summer, wet and mild in the winter, that type of thing. This annual week-long Bandit Run started back in 2007 with only about 30 Trans Ams that were participating in it. It now has over 150 muscle cars that join the ride. And according to their Facebook page, the mission of the Bandit Run is to, quote, get classic cars out of the garage and onto the road. Yeah. Yes. Now, to try to keep it fun and also to help people see more of the country, they change the Bandit Run route just a little bit Uh every year. Okay. But on every fifth year, they recreate the actual route. Yes, taken in the movie. Which, looking at that, they were taking those curves, and I was just real nervous for them. I I thought, these are some serious curves, and they're going, I mean, I don't know if they were actually going 190 miles an hour, but they were not going 30, I'll tell you that. (laughs) That's true. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. And I think that that was part of the excitement, right? Mm -hmm. The Mm fast-paced nature Mm -hmm. and the action and the deadline, like that Mm -hmm. added so much to the movie. You gotta have a time lock. It's so cool and you have a time lock. We gotta get there by this amount of time. Mm -hmm. Makes it so much more fun. Yes. Well, one last note about the Bandit Run was... Of course, we're heading now into something like the 46th year. But to celebrate the movie's 40th anniversary, they actually had a special screening attended by Burt Reynolds. That's so cool. I know. And they staged a recreation of the famous jump scene that year. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. So that's basically kind of hitting on a few of the peripheral ideas related Mm -hmm. to the movie. But before we jump into some of the information about the movie, Ashley, tell me why you enjoy it. Like, what's something that stands out to you? about this movie okay well I I took a few notes about it and I already kind of mentioned the music I just I love this music Mm -hmm. it's the music of my DNA and the timing on the lines is amazing Mm -hmm. it just sounds like real dialogue but it took me back to the screwball comedies of the 30s it's almost (laughs) like you know in the newspaper world His Girl Friday where they have that rapid fire dialogue and we learned all about the world of the newspaper here we learned about the world of the long haul trucker Mm -hmm. the CB lingo and how they talk to each other and I thought there it's so fascinating to me that there's all these pockets of worlds out there of people who have similar interests like for you and I community theater that's our world right but there's this world of the truckers and I thought I want to know people in this world you know it's just it just made me want to know and be involved and like I want to go on a long haul truck run one day and to piggyback on that I think the impact of that movie in introducing that world and spreading it to the general population because CB radio sales I think jumped after this and people were using phrases like 10 for good yes, buddy yes. I mean it it did but I think it annoyed that. the real truckers because they were clogging the airwaves <laughs> with all these people these wannabes and that's when everybody started that craze of driving down the road and seeing a trucker and you Doing would pull the yes they would pull their Is that arm when down that started? I think so I oh, think funny. that that if, if it didn't start it it perpetuated it it, mm-hmm. sky, it skyrocketed that I also loved that it was such a simple plot mm. but it just was so fun 
you know? And we really didn't have a lot of conflict at the outset until Sally Field's character shows up. And then she never will admit that they're the reason they're getting hounded by this guy. (laughs) He's like, why is he following us? I don't know. I don't know why he's following us. And at the end, she's like, no hard feelings, Junior. (laughs) Sally, this was your fault, little froggy. Well, and it was funny because Buford T. Justice doesn't actually say that a lot either, does he? He just he just starts it, it just morphs into this situation yeah. of now he wants to catch yes. the bandit. No, I know. I was like, what happened here? <laughs> Where did our plot go? Yeah, I don't what? care. And then yeah. I thought, I don't care. It's so fun. <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of mindless excitement yeah. and great humor. And it looked like they were having so much fun. True. It so just true. did. Yeah. It just they looked like they were having a great time. And they looked like they were all really friends in real life. And <laughs> the, again, the timing. I love the timing and yeah. the dialogue. Well, let's talk about how it started. The script was actually written by Hal Needham, who went on to direct it. Mm -hmm. Here's what I didn't know. He was a well-known Hollywood stuntman. Right. Did you know this? I did because of Burt's biography. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, in this 2011 Fortune magazine article that I found, they, they had some information from Hal Needham himself, and he shared that he was inspired to write the script after he was given some Coors beer in 1976 when he was on the set of the movie called Gator. Well, he put it in his hotel room, referring refrigerator and he noticed that it kept disappearing while he was away at work now he set a little trap and managed to catch the thief which i don't know if this is accurate or not but a couple of my sources said was the maid but i'm I'm not positive but regardless it caused him to wonder why and so he did a little investigating and he realized that coors beer was unavailable for sale east of oklahoma Mm -hmm. at that time Mm -hmm. it was not nationally distributed until 1986 which some people thought was a purposeful marketing strategy by Coors uh-huh. to kind of up their sales, make right. it more in demand. Right. But this is what gave him the idea. And I think I read on IMDb where they said that Coors has to, it wasn't pasteurized, so it has to stay refrigerated. So that was one of the reasons they didn't make it available is because they couldn't drive it long distances. Ah. It would have to stay refrigerated. Right. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. Well, Burt Reynolds at this time was regarded by many people as being the most popular male (laughs) actor in the world. In the world. Number one in the world. Right. He was huge at this time. He later said in an autobiography that he thought the original screenplay for the movie which was written on a yellow legal that's pad right. I'm was looking at it right here. quote the worst script he'd ever read that's right do you have anything else you want to share about that no i actually have the passage he says one day he gave me a script he'd written titled smoking the bandit it was scrawled on a yellow legal pad in his own handwriting he hadn't even had it typed but i sat down and read it anyway now hal and i had one of the tightest friendships in show business he'd directed second unit footage and coordinated stunts on six of my films. We'd lived together longer than either of us had lived with any of the women to whom we'd been married. So it was hard to tell him. I thought it was the worst script I'd read in my life. (laughs) But that's the point. What you just said, I think is so important. They were so tight. I saw that Hal was actually living in Bert's pool house. Mm -hmm. Like that's where he was living. So Mm -hmm. they're basically roommates. Yeah, they're besties. Yes. And so Bert says, I'm going to do your movie. He's the one who convinced Hal to direct it. Yep. He says, I'll tell you what, if you can get the studio to approve it, I'll do it. You direct, I'll star in it. Yeah. And everybody agrees that had Burt not been attached to that movie, it would not have been the massive success 
that it was. Oh, I agree. Because you said it. It ended up being the second highest grossing film in the U.S. in 1977, coming in only behind Star Wars. It earned $126 million at the box office yeah. that year. So it was really huge. And we have Burt Reynolds to thank greatly yes. for its success. If you want another quote, here's what he tells Hal. And this is, again, from Burt Reynolds' biography, My Life. I'm reading from that. It says, he told Hal, however, it's got a couple things going for it, I said. We've got a clock on the picture. We have to get people from here to there in a certain amount of time. That's always good. And the characters are lovable in a real folksy, blue-collar sort of way. No one in America can say we're over our heads. So that's what he said. He said it was the worst script he'd ever read, but that's the positives that he saw yeah. in it. Yeah. And that's what I saw when we watched it. They were lovable. They were fun. And, and you had the time lock. We got to get from here to there. We're on the clock. Yes, 100%. Well, Hal passed away in 2013, and the BBC carried a short obituary for him back then. Here is a little tiny piece from that that I thought was very interesting to give some more insight into this fellow himself. During his career as a stuntman, Hal Needham broke his back twice, mm. punctured a lung, damaged his hearing, and lost a number of teeth. A former paratrooper, he appeared in many films, including Chinatown, How the West Was Won, Blazing Saddles, and Little Big Man, as well as countless TV westerns. He often worked as a stunt double for the actor Burt Reynolds, and the two became close friends. And then it goes on to talk about Smoking the Bandit. And then kind of following on this idea, there was a 2016 documentary called The Bandit. Mm -hmm. And a Business Insider article written about that documentary pointed out that this was not about the movie. It was about really the relationship between these two buddies that created this film together. And mm -hmm. I think that to me, that's one of the things that makes this movie sell as well, is you feel the buddy relationship between Jerry Reed and mm -hmm. Burt Reynolds' yes, character. Yes. I think that's another part of what sells this. It and does. then when Sally Field comes in it, her relationship, she's immediately tight with them. That's it's right. It's like she fits right she into does. their little group. Yep. And I feel like that buddy idea carries over. She doesn't cause conflict because she's not competition. She's just part of the little triangle now. Absolutely. And by the way, Burt Reynolds passed away at 82 in September of 2018. Mm -hmm. Well, we've already given a bit of a summary, but to add a, another one, this one is from Turner Classic Movies. They say, a legendary driver, the bandit, gives a lift to a female hitchhiker. Now he has 28 hours to deliver 400 cases of beer from Arkansas to Georgia with the help of a friend and his new lover. Unfortunately, a law-loving sheriff is mm -hmm. hot on his trail and has no plans to make it easy for him. Mm -hmm. It was rated PG. Uh, we've said several times it was released in 1977. It definitely should not have been rated PG for that language. <laughs> no, yeah. Jackie Gleason upped that up that to PG-13 at least. Yeah. But as we've said, it didn't exist it didn't at that exist, time. Right. Yeah. So Burt Reynolds, of course, starred as Bo Darvel, who went by the nickname Bandit. We know how he was cast. But let's talk about Sally Fields. She was an established star at this time. But but she only got the role of Carrie, who had the handle frog, mm -hmm. because Burt Reynolds advocated for yes, her. Yes, he did. Do you, do you want to share about that? I have a passage, that? yes. Okay. It says, The studio suggested just about every big name actress at the time, but I was adamant about Sally. I'd never met her. I just knew her work on Gidget and The Flying Nun. As crazy as most people think that is, I could see the talent way inside. But if she can be good in that kind of stuff, I argued, just think how wonderful she'll be in good material. They countered that Sally wasn't sexy. I said, talent is sexy. The suits finally caved in, but then I faced an equally fierce battle with Sally herself.
myself. About to start with Joanne Woodward and Sybil, the deeply disturbing Emmy award-winning TV movie about a young woman with multiple personalities, Sally wanted to escape her sitcom past. She knew Sybil was her breakout, a role that was going to put her on the map, maybe win her an Emmy, and at last she'd be considered a serious actress. A goofball adventure like Smokey wasn't on her agenda, and she's someone who won't do something unless she loves it. But I called her anyway. And she went on to say that she actually ended up choosing to do it because she felt like she was almost getting typecast as such a serious actor, yeah. like, but someone who was not attractive. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to expand the perception of her. And right. so she took this role partly because Burt Reynolds was the most famous male actor. And in this movie, he thinks she's cute. He thinks she's sexy. Therefore, it was kind of a nod to the fact yep. that she could play those types of roles too. Right. I keep reading from this. It's such a great, it's such a great section though. He says they go, he he calls her and he's trying to talk her into this. Toward the end of the conversation, he makes her laugh. He's talking about it. He says, people don't take us seriously. You know, I think they've pigeonholed you. They've pigeonholed me, but we're both smarter than we appear. And toward the end of the conversation, he says, now there is one problem I forgot to mention. I should have been upfront about it, but what she asked well you'll have to work with the number one box office star guy in the world (laughs) she said you that's what the trophy on the hood of my car says i heard you could talk birds out of trees she finally said what does that mean it means okay i'll do Uh, it just a little touch of what's the word there for mr burt reynolds (laughs) a little little um humble bragging there (laughs) i'm not sure humble brag much there burt yep and of course we all know they did start a romance while they were filming Mm -hmm. that movie Mm -hmm. in in that close he claims they did not meet in person until the night before shooting began okay according to this book that's actually similar to what i saw in my sources too but there was this closer article where the widow of the film's director hal's widow ellen said quote you saw burt and sally fall in love for real in the movie there are certain scenes where you can just see it happening it's so sweet they would go on to to date off and on for something like five years but an interesting side note you can speak to this because i'm sure it's probably in that book there but bert would later refer to her as the love of his life and the one who got away but she did not feel the same way she did not feel the same way no do you want to um i don't know reading over this is just an aside this is a jumping in the armchair a little early i did not know much about burt reynolds i hadn't really followed his career i did watch Evening Shade but I love reading autobiographies and sometimes when I read biographies I either like the person better or I sometimes I don't right but in this case I felt like yes he's egotistical yes he has a lot of flaws but he himself said I was super egotistical I was I had so many flaws Mm. and it felt like to me he was being open and honest and just really wanting to give an accurate picture of his life including his own mistakes so I he's reflected on it and Uh maybe come to see some of his flaws that he didn't recognize at the time right right and he was funny and he even he even says you know I was so arrogant back then Mm -hmm. so I appreciate somebody who can talk that way about them but also present themselves as the arrogant person they were in that time. I don't know Sally Field. I wasn't there during the relationship. His take on their relationship is much different than hers. And right. I've only read his side of it. I've not read her autobiography. But he'll say, now Sally thinks this, but here's my recollection of what okay. happened. So he acknowledges her He does acknowledge her perspective. And he does acknowledge that he did step out on her. And he said it was a huge mistake. I shouldn't have done it. But not to excuse it, but they were kind of on the outs anyway. I think she wanted to get past just being his girlfriend. And he said she was so talented that she needed to go on and become this amazing actress. And he kind of felt like almost like a star is born where his star was sort of waning and hers was going Mm. up. So I think they more or less broke up because she went on to do great things. But 
from what I read, he was always fond of her and she just hated him. Oh, I after didn't... the breakup, she just Oh, it was hated. bitter. It was a bitter, bitter thing. Well, I did not do a deep dive, but what I did see, just a couple tidbits, her memoir came out just days after he uh-huh. passed away. Mm-hmm. And one of the comments she made was that she was glad he never read it because she thought it might have hurt him. Yeah. And in a good housekeeping article written about her memoir, she said this, their romance was confusing and complicated and not without loving and caring, but really complicated and hurtful to me. Mm-hmm. And one example she gave was apparently he really pushed against her attending the 1977 Emmys when she ended up winning for her role in Sybil. That was... He actually addresses that in here. Oh. And he says that this is what she thinks, but here is my recollection of it. I said to her do you want to go and she was on the fence about it and he says he left it up to her and she Mm. decided she said I'm such a sore loser what if I lose and he's like well what if you win and he says that they stayed home they watched it and I'm paraphrasing Uh but they jumped up and down on the bed like little kids and celebrated and she was happy but he says he left it up to her to choose so it's a lot of he said she said yes very much very much interesting interesting well moving on let's go on and to talk about Jerry Reed sure he was originally cast as the bandit but Mm -hmm. then when Burt Reynolds came on, he was moved to the role of Cletus Snow with the nickname Snowman. He wrote the hit song that we've already sang for you, Eastbound mm-hmm. and Down, for the movie. In fact, the way the story goes, Hal asked him if he could write the theme song for the movie since he was a famous country music singer and songwriter. And Jerry came back just hours later with this what? song. That is talent. That is talent. Unbelievable. And so he started playing it acoustically for Hal Needham, who stopped Jerry right in the middle of his performance and so Jerry thought that was like a bad thing and yeah. he offered to change the song he said I'll do anything you want to it and supposedly Hal Needham said quote if you change one note I'll kill you <laughs> yes, it's amazing and they said this song went on to become Jerry Reed's signature song like yep. this is one of the ones he is most known for it's his king of the road Roger Miller's known for king of the road Jerry Reed is man I love this song yeah well Jackie Gleason played Buford T. Justice mm-hmm. which was the name of a real Florida highway patrolman oh no Burt Reynolds' father was once chief of police uh-huh. of Jupiter, Florida, and he had known a man named Buford T. Justice, and that's that where they got the name. Sounds like it was totally made up. You know, <laughs> so does, a policeman being yes. justice. Yeah. But one source said that Jackie Gleason even based a few of his mannerisms and curses on Bert's dad. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can't say which one it was, but, you know, I also, just as an FYI, I cleaned up the language in the passages that I'm reading oh. from, Bert's, from Bert's book. <laughs> A little bit of editing there. I'm just doing a little bit of editing to keep our clean rating. Well, everybody agrees that Jackie Gleason added a lot to this movie. Oh, yeah. And much of what he did was improvised. In fact... Burt Reynolds once wrote that Jackie Gleason, quote, never said a single word in the script. <laughs> like he was just making it just up. Just making it up. Yeah. Just a few examples of how he changed the movie. It was Jackie Gleason's idea to have the toilet paper coming from his pant leg when he mm-hmm. left the bathroom out of that little barbecue shop. And he was the one responsible for adding the entire character of Junior. Right. Which is the reason that Sally jumps in the car. What? That, that's it, the jilted groom. Right. It ha- unless they were just referencing it. Uh, maybe. 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 But I'm the, telling you the part where he holds the hat. He holds <laughs> yeah. his dad's hat as they're driving. Uh, like, he just sits there and holds it. That cracked me up. Oh my gosh. He was such a stereotypical sweet but stupid. Sweet but dumb. Yeah. Yes. He was kind of I it made me think of the Clampets or the Beverly Hillbillies, yes. Jethro. Yes. 
Yes. But supposedly Jackie Gleason said, quote, I can't be in the car alone. Right. Put someone in there with me to play off of. Right. And that's he what He was a great foil. He said, you could not, one of the quotes, you could not have come from my loins. When I get home, I'm going to punch your mama straight in the mouth. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> He's so mean to him. Oh, he was. He was. Well, and did you happen to see anything in that book about how the Basset Hound was picked, Fred? I don't know if it's in the book, but I saw on IMDb that Burt Reynolds picked him because he wouldn't listen to yes. commands. Yes. He, he purposefully chose him because he wouldn't do anything he was told. That was Fred. Uh. And that was good to give Snowman somebody to talk to in the car as well. Yes, absolutely. Some Somebody to play off of. Oh, well, before we go on, why don't we take a short break? Good afternoon, good buddies. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Scandalwater has t-shirts and stickers available for your purchasing power right now. Limited sizing and quantities are available, so hurry on up. And if you're a monthly member, you can guarantee yourself a 5 or 10% discount depending upon your level of membership. And not only does every purchase fuel our future episodes, supporting the Scandalwater t-shirt has been known to stop traffic. It's better than a Dr. Pepper and a cheeseburger at the Choking Puke, and you'll look as good as Fred frolicking in the pond. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod and click on the extras tab. Come on back. We are back. And you said you found another little interesting... I did. I found a little more info from Burt Reynolds' book. Again, I'm reading from Burt Reynolds' My Life. He says, Once shooting began, Sally saw me in a whole different light. I, of course, knew what the rest of the country found out when Sybil aired, which was that she was one of the finest actresses Mm -hmm. in the world. But I think she was shocked that I knew what a 40 lens was, had an expert bead on all the stunt work, and that when we rewrote, even Gleason, the great one, took my suggestions. And uh, then he mentions what we've already talked about, how Mm -hmm. Jackie came up with the stuff about the toilet paper and all of that. Then later on, he says, Hal Needham, the director, worked lightning quick, reigning over crew and camera with instincts that made him, in my humble opinion, the best action director in the business. Mm. We moved all over Georgia. But one night, about a week or so into the picture, which only took about six weeks to complete, Sally rode back to the hotel with me, acting as if she just figured out a big secret. You're directing this movie, aren't you? She asked. (laughs) No, I'm suggesting, I said. Yes, but we're all taking the suggestions. Okay, well, I'm sort of with the actors and Hal takes care of everything else. Why? No reason, she said. Like everyone in Hollywood, I'm just trying to figure out why you are who you are. Mm. Okay, interesting. It's so funny when you read some thing from their point of view their point of view you're kind of like he's giving himself a lot of credit for directing which makes me wonder to what extent did he right i think what he was i think what he was saying is probably again probably true i think hal was taking care of all the technical aspects like Mm -hmm. directing the second unit action sequences and such and bert was probably working with the characters and helping them develop themselves well and i think it also speaks to the fact that bert reynolds had so much credibility that if he offers an opinion everybody else is going okay that sounds good right yeah yeah, let's do that let's do that that. seems to have worked for you (laughs) right i have a few pieces of trivia i wanted to share but first this was just an insight that i thought was was good Mm -hmm. they talked about the fact that smoking the bandit just aligned with the trends or the fads of that time like Mm -hmm. it was just so good at hitting on what was popular then Mm -hmm. they said at this 
at this time in history, there was a lot of interest in the South. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of interest in that idea of like kind of the good old boys because you had Jimmy Carter as president. And so like that made people more interested in the South. I wonder if this led to Dukes of Hazzard. Oh, that's coming up. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. We also have talked about this through our Indiana Jones and our Han Solo conversations. This was a time when there was really kind of an emphasis on these charming rogues who were out there trying to beat the system. Yes. Especially if the system was corrupt. Right. And this is, again, this is kind of that same idea. A little underdog, a little Robin Hood. Yeah, he's the charming rogue. Yep, Yep. Well, from Turner Classic Movie, they listed a piece of trivia, and this supposedly came from Hal Needham himself, who had shared it on a radio show in Atlanta. But they said that the scene where the football players are narrowly missed. Yes. Was almost an actual accident. Oh Did my you gosh. see that? I yes, we we were we watched that and we thought, oh my goodness, those people almost got hit. Yeah. Well, what had happened was, without the film crew knowing it, a groundskeeper had watered the grass on the field. <sighs> so when the car hit it, it caused the car to go out of control. Oh, it slid no. the wrong way and almost hit a bunch of the extras. Oh no. Yeah. So that was. Thankfully, an accident that did not happen that very well could have. Also, they said that they used the actual Trans Am, you know, in all of their scenes, except that bridge jump. Okay. The stock engine in the Trans Am was not strong enough. They had to substitute a Chevrolet engine to make the jump. And another little piece of trivia, near the end of the movie, when you see two Georgia State Patrol cars blocking the entrance to the fairground, Mm -hmm. well, the Oldsmobile was equipped with an airbag, which was apparently very rare in the 1970s, and it did not deploy in that minor collision, but it did go off when they purposefully wrecked the car years later and that car is often shown in an airbag safety film for traffic schools very cool yeah now one last little piece of trivia in season seven episode 10 of the walking dead which aired february 19th 2017 the character daryl who's played by norman reedus Mm -hmm. and the character richard who's played by carl mackinnon are standing in front of a trailer it happens to be the very same trailer that snowman drove in Smokey and the bandit oh that's so cool Yes. And so they said it was a purposeful Easter egg to honor the film in the year of its 40th anniversary. Oh, neat. Very cool. Yeah. So let's talk about reactions and impact. Okay. The film was a sleeper hit. It started out with actually a pretty poor initial performance, but then went on to gross $126.7 million versus the budget that they, you know, what they spent on it was only $4.3 million. We've said several times it was the second highest grossing movie that year, 1977, mm-hmm. and it is now estimated to have a worldwide gross of over $300 million. Nuts. That's nuts. Do you, did you find anything in the book about I did. I have a couple more things to read from the book about the release of it. So when they first finished it, he writes, Hal screened Smokey for Universal execs. To a person, they hated it. Mm. But he'd made a horrible error. He hadn't put in any sound effects yet. There was no music. Punches didn't smack. Cars crashed without the sound of metal crunching. The lack of all this was too glaring to anyone from the tower. 
Never show suits in action picture without a track, I said. In other words, a car chase that doesn't have screaming wheels mm. isn't really a car chase to these guys. They don't know how you make a movie. Everything's got to be obvious. We spent a week preparing a temp track, one that will later be replaced with a more precise sound effects. Then we ran the same picture, frame for frame, for the same group of suits, and afterward they laughed and applauded. The same picture they slammed one week earlier as a piece of crap was now brilliant. That is the power of a soundtrack, isn't it? I Mm -hmm. mean, that makes sense, but that's a really good example of it. He says that they also only released it in the South where it immediately caught fire. They they just did a small release. Mm -hmm. So the South loved it and then they decided to release it wider where it just took off. Yeah. And take off, it did, because it inspired all kinds of copycats. It led to a lot of other movies or shows. In fact, they called it the Smokey and the Bandit phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Smokey the Bandit did earn a nomination for Best Film Editing due to all of the complicated action sequences and... Sally Field earned a Golden Globe nomination as Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy That's for cool. her role as Carrie. That yeah. is very cool. If if you want to kind of close the chapter on Bert and Sally, mm-hmm. I have kind of a final quote about that. Do you think this is a oh, good time? Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. So he says, talking about the reaction, how everyone loved the film, a high-ranking suit comes up and Mm -hmm. congratulates them on how this is an amazing film okay he says lou shook our hands and congratulated us but this is one of the traits i loved most about sally as soon as he left she started hugging me punching me in the arm and screaming through clenched teeth how unbelievably great this was never covering her joy she grabbed a moment and laughed with tears of joy she took nothing for granted i had always been the same way I think that's what made our relationship so special. Sally was the love affair of my life. But what you sometimes learn, and indeed I learned, is that the person you love most may not be the one with whom you should spend the rest of your life. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Very bittersweet. It was, yes. Well, that was a nice quote. But moving back into the movie, um, it was obviously very popular. It was famously said to be one of Alfred Hitchcock's favorite films. His guilty pleasure, yes. Yeah, he was known to watch it again and again and again. It's (laughs) fun! We've already talked about the fact that it caused a huge upswing in Trans Am sales, but it, as we've kind of previewed, it also caused an explosion in sales of CB radios, Mm -hmm. and... (laughs) It did become a huge annoyance to the truckers. That was something I found in my notes. Mm-hmm. And I should we should say, you know, these were famous stars, but this movie elevated all of yes. their stardom. Like yes. all of their fame increased as a result of Smoking the Bandit. Astronomically. When they thought that this was going to be kind of a bust right. from the beginning, right. they did not have faith in it. But here's a quote from that Turner Classic movie article that I mentioned before. The success of the film catapulted Reynolds to the number one box office spot and inspired a string of similar movies and TV shows, not to mention igniting a short-lived CB trend among non-truckers. The success of the film spawned two hit sequels in 1980 and 1983 and a number of similar movies, including Hooper, The Cannonball Mm -hmm. Run, Mm -hmm. Stroker Ace, and The Cannonball Run 2 all starring Reynolds and directed by Smokey and the Bandit director Hal Needham. Mm-hmm. And Dukes of Hazard came up a lot, which okay. you mentioned. Okay. Many articles said that they felt that Smoking the Bandit prompted Dukes of Hazard. Actually, Dukes of Hazard was based on a 1975 film called Moon Runners, which was about running moonshine. Ah. But the popularity of Smoking and the Bandit 
helped them to get their show on the air. Interesting. And then it ins- they listed it as being an inspiration. inspiration. So I think it changed some of the ways that they approached their their TV show. In IMDb, it says that John Schneider has a small role in Smoking the Bandit. Ooh. I don't know who he was. I don't know if he was one of the four kids that the oh. Jackie Gleason catches early yes. on. I didn't go back and check because I remember reading it and going, really? Who was he? Because I think I know what he looked like. But, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't paying attention for John Schneider. I never noticed him. No, but apparently he is in it, according to this trivia. Armchair psychologist. Well, I think that brings us to our armchair. Okay. And I'm just going to ask you, Ashley, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to tell you that one of the reasons I wanted to cover this is partly because I had read Bert's biography earlier, and I would like to do a full episode about him at some Mm -hmm. point where we discuss his life, because the thing that fascinates me is I'm 43 years old. This came out three years before I was born. I'm not, I mean, I'm Mm middle-aged, but I'm not that old. Right. And so 46 years ago, this film was the top. Sally's still around. You know, we we still have her. And Bert died at 82. He was still young when he passed away, to my way of thinking. How in the world do you become the number one box office star on the planet? And then only my lifetime later, nobody really talks about you anymore. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? And is that just sort of a shocking testimony to this is how fast fame is fleeting. Right. Ooh, that's an interesting question. Because we just said without his name attached to this movie, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. He was that big. He helped catapult the movie. He helped catapult the stardom of all these people who Mm -hmm. were in it. Mm -hmm. And yet you're right. Nobody's talking about Burt Reynolds. No. He's not like Elvis or, you know, somebody. Ooh. But, But then again... Okay, I'm trying to be delicate here. Okay. Could it be what happened after this movie? Because because there were a lot of ugly things that came out sure. with his personal life. Yeah. People made allegations that he wasn't the nicest man right. and the way he treated some of his loved ones. Right. Like maybe that's part of it. Maybe. But we have a lot of other people who have those kind of allegations that are still famous. Again, don't know a lot about his life. Charlie Chaplin is still regarded as a genius and everybody knows Charlie's name. But if you look into his life, he had a lot of skeletons in that closet. Well, that is true. You know, one of my theories, of course, is like, look at Elvis. Um, People who who die at a young age or have Uh a tragic death or possibly die when they're still at their peak. Right. I think that's a whole different thing. Right. If I'm looking at your example of Charlie Chaplin, okay, this, again, I don't want to sound judgy, but Smoking the Bandit lovely fun but kind of a fluff film mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. i mean we're not talking something that's super intellectual class, right classical or intellectual or whatever literary any of those things that sometimes bring acclaim mm-hmm. edgy different whatever you want to say whereas charlie chaplin i think did receive more critical praise critical praise for his work but I also think you could say it takes a real genius person to play dumb. And mm-hmm. that's what I learned in reading Bert's biography is that he kind of had a reputation of being just this meatball. Mm. And it took a lot of intelligence to get where he was and to maintain where he was. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I think my overall thoughts are just the shocking fleetingness of fame. Yeah. And you pursue it and then it's only there for a few years and then it it goes away. But on the flip side, we just did an episode about Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and I can't help but draw some parallels here sure. because they both played charming yeah. rogues, yeah. rugged, good looks, yeah. very popular. And Harrison Ford has it's maintained it and mm-hmm. he is still going strong. Yeah. So 
I guess every situation is different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it does make me want to look into his life more and Mm -hmm. talk about him more and dig into who he was. But I, for one, am so grateful that he got this movie into the lexicon. And I think sometimes you try to lightning in a bottle and then you try to make lightning strike twice so with the follow-up of smoky 2 smoky 3 smoky 3 has terrible ratings on imdb i've never seen it i've never seen smoky and the bandit 2 sometimes things are so so special Mm -hmm. that you shouldn't try to repeat it sort of like the sequels we've talked about a sequel that was actually good we both think was the christmas story christmas because it told a different story but it told the next chapter of the story Mm -hmm. and i think probably again haven't seen them what they were trying to do is tell the same story, but in a different way. Right. Just yeah. little tweaks here and yeah. there. Yeah. That's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. No. Well, so I think we've settled on the fact that we we really appreciate this movie. We appreciate mm-hmm. it as the fun action film that it was, but mm-hmm. also the, the fact that it's almost like this little time capsule. Yeah. Like it's just this fun little look at a buddy film yes. that represents the 70s yes. and some of the things, the trends, the fads, all the things that, that people loved about that time period. Yeah, so let's end on a positive note. We kind of got a little, we've done a little Debbie Downer there for a minute. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the film? You don't have to say, if it's not a moment, then what did you love most about the film? Well, I just was captivated by little Jerry Reed. I loved, <laughs> I I loved so Jerry cute. and Fred. Yes. I thought that they just, they didn't, they didn't have a large role. No. But they added so much. I did appreciate the buddy factor. Yes. I really did. Yes. So I'm, I'm going for Jerry. Jerry, Jerry did charm the pants off of me. He was adorable and Fred and the way he just hauled that dog around. (laughs) And then I loved how he got in that horrible bar fight and then he got revenge by just running over all of their (laughs) motorcycles. So for me still... I think my number one favorite part of this film was the dialogue and was the relationship between Mm -hmm. the characters and how they just, you immediately bought the fact that these were long-term best friends and that they had this great friendship and great life together. I just loved it. I loved the dialogue. And of course, I mean, again, none of this was complicated. No. But the fact that everybody came on board to support them. Mm -hmm. Like they made the audience root for them because Mm -hmm. you saw everybody through the course of the movie, the other truckers, the other, you know, everybody else was like so behind them that you found yourself wanting to cheer at the end. You did. So you felt like you you felt like you were part of their buddy group too. Yes. Yes. You felt like one of their friends and that's hard to do. That is hard. That's another reason I think this is such a remarkable film is so hard to capture that kind of energy and that kind of spirit. Mm -hmm. And they did it. Yeah, they did. So cheers to you guys, Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, Jerry Reed, Jackie Gleason, all the people involved, mm-hmm. Hal Needham with Fred, with our, yes, Fred <laughs> with, the dog, <laughs> with this classic 70s film. Thank you for making it. Cheers to you guys. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. 
It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.